Thanks for following along the second season of Crime Beat. And thanks so much to the listeners who have supported our sponsor, the La Mirada Theater for the Performing Arts. I've seen shows there several times, and it's a great night out. In January, they will have a new play, the very dark comedy Arsenic and Old Lace. There will be more details and a discount code later in this episode. So thank you to the La Mirada Theater for the Performing Arts. Hey, true crime fans. If you're serious about your podcast listening, you're going to want to check out Real Life, Real Crime with host Woody Overton. He has the best voice in the business. I'm Woody Overton, host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. Join me each week to hear true and unscripted stories of the cases I actually worked during my career as a major crime investigator in South Louisiana. Go to realliferealcrime.com where you can listen to each week's episodes and find links to our social media. I appreciate y'all. Don't let me catch you down on the bike. And here's Crime Beat. Some of the descriptions, details, and language in this podcast may not be suitable for all audiences. There are so many ways to mess up a murder case. Forget to send the victim's clothing to the lab for testing? Check. Take so long in your investigation, you have to cut a suspect free? Check. Get test results back from the lab that hit on a suspect, but neglect to inform detectives for weeks? Yes, that too. In the Kathy Torres case, things like that happened. I'm going to tell you about another huge police screw-up and a great legal bluff. Both happened just as this case was starting to break open in 2005. That's when Deputy District Attorney Matt Murphy got involved. He and his investigator, Larry Montgomery, listened to Placentia Detective Darren Wyatt, who had been trying, without success, to get anyone in the district attorney's office to listen for more than a decade. Why would Matt Murphy finally take the case after all his colleagues had passed? I thought I was better than all of them. <laughs> um, well, no, uh, and, I'm, and I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I'm kidding mostly. Basically, um, there's no statute of limitations on murders. And um, essentially, you can, um, you can keep dusting them off over and over again. You can keep reworking them. You can keep looking at it. You can keep, you know, and remember, ethically, if you don't believe you can win it, you can't file it. Matt Murphy thought he could win it. My name is Keith Sharon. I'm a reporter with the Southern California News Group. In 1994, Kathy Torres, a 20 year old student at Cal State Fullerton, never came home after working a Saturday night shift in the photo department at Savon. In this podcast, I'm going to look at just how cold a case can get. I'm going to tell you about Kathy's mother, Mary Bennett, her family, Detective Darren Wyatt, and their extraordinary and frustrating two plus decade pursuit of justice. This is Crime Beat, Season 2, Episode 9, Surprise, Four Arrests. The murder case against Sam Lopez and his cousin Javier may have been doomed forever if Deputy District Attorney Matt Murphy and Investigator Larry Montgomery hadn't gotten involved. Instead of dismissing the case as unwinnable, like everyone else in the Orange County District Attorney's Office had done since 1994, 
Murphy kept an open mind. He didn't file charges right away, but he also didn't say no. By this time, it was 2005, 11 years after Kathy Torres was found stabbed to death in the trunk of her own car. Matt Murphy wanted more evidence. At the same time, Placentia was getting a new police chief. His name was John Schaefer, and he pledged to bring the little town into the internet age by improving the police department's website. And every day he went to work at his new job, Schaefer had to pass by the desk of Mary Bennett, who was working for the housing department and was determined to keep her daughter's name alive in the minds of the police. It wasn't long before Schaefer got a knock at his door. Actually, Mary met with Schaefer before he met with homicide detective Darren Wyatt. She was relentless, tip of the spear. One of the first things that John did when he came to me as the detective sergeant, he goes, hey, I hear about this Kathy Torres case. Her mom came and met with me, as she did with every city police chief. Uh, what do we need to do to solve that case? Darren Wyatt was ready with a plan. I'll cut to the important part. His plan cost $300,000, and Schaefer said yes, which was a huge expenditure for a small department. The plan involved wiretapping and following four suspects. One of them lived in San Jose. The first suspect, of course, was Sam Lopez, who dated Kathy for a time and lived across the street from her. They had no physical evidence putting Sam anywhere near Kathy on the night of her murder. The second suspect was Javier Lopez, Sam's cousin. Javier's blood and fingerprints were found on Kathy's car. Both Javier and Sam said they were together on the night Kathy disappeared. The third suspect was Armando Lopez, Sam's brother and Kathy's brother-in-law. He was married to Kathy's sister, Tina. Police believed Armando was involved in the cover-up of the crime. And the fourth suspect was Juan Gustavo Barroso. Many people called him John. At the time of the murder, he lived in Fullerton. Both Sam and Javier told police they went to Barroso's apartment on the night Kathy disappeared. Detective Darren Wyatt said he believed that Sam gave Barroso Kathy's wallet, and Barroso took her money and threw the wallet in the dumpster. At the time of the surveillance, more than a decade after the murder, Barroso was living in San Jose. Wyatt's plan was to have the phones of the four men wiretapped, and each of them would be followed 24 hours per day by undercover cops. And to get an even better look at the suspects, the police constructed what they call a pole cam to watch Javier Lopez. Now let me tell you something about Javier. He may have been involved in a murder, but he wasn't an idiot. He saw the pole cam being built. He knew he was being watched. And the OC Sheriff's Department offered to help with the surveillance by sending what Wyatt described as, quote, fraud detectives in Crown Vicks, unquote. Wyatt was mad because they weren't homicide detectives and they were driving black Crown Victoria unmarked police cars. Crown Victoria unmarked police cars might be the easiest thing in the world for bad guys to spot or anyone who has watched a police drama on television. And they got burned the first day, yeah. the, first, the first shift, 12 hours. Uh, through that, um, yeah, it, it was bad. But they're still talking on the wire, right? Okay. Um, but they knew that they were being they watched? They knew that they were being watched. That's really bad police work. There's no other way to say it. The only thing police got out of their $300,000 wiretap 
was phone calls among the suspects telling each other to watch out because the cops were watching them. You could argue that when the suspects discussed the case like that, they showed their consciousness of guilt. But that's a tiny consolation for such an expensive enterprise. Wyatt wasn't happy. One break in the case came when a lab report implicated Javier Lopez enough to change his status. If Sam Lopez had killed Kathy, and then Javier had helped him dispose of the body afterward, then Javier could be charged as an accomplice after the fact. In Wyatt's mind, that meant Javier would likely get three years in state prison. Wyatt believed Javier played a more significant role. This lab report focused on the blood spatter in the trunk of Kathy's car. The blood hit the side lining of the trunk on the inside. The coroner called that straight line an arterial spurt, meaning Kathy's heart pumped out the blood so hard it shot into the side of the trunk in a straight line. You only have arterial spurt if you're alive. The heart's still pumping. If she's still alive when she goes in the trunk, he's now aided and abetted in the murder, which makes him a principal. That means Sam and Javier were equally culpable for Kathy's murder. We will dissect their roles in the murder in an upcoming episode. By the time 2007 rolled around, Darren Wyatt and Larry Montgomery had convinced Matt Murphy that two men had killed Kathy Torres. One stabbed her, and two of them placed her in the trunk of that car while she was still alive. They also convinced him that Armando Lopez told at least one person not to cooperate with police. And both Wyatt and Murphy said they were convinced John Barroso had helped the killers after the fact. On July 6, 2007, 13 years after Kathy Torres was murdered, police went after three of their suspects. Javier was arrested at the home of his new girlfriend's mother. Sam and Armando were living together at the time of their arrest. Sam and Javier were charged with murder. On the morning of July 6, 2007, Mary Bennett was having coffee at McDonald's, which was part of her routine. She would sit at a table in the restaurant reading a Bible. I learned that uh, God had let me do, he had sustained me all these years, and he had let me do things what I thought I was, the things I was doing was in, in my way, but not giving it to him, not surrendering it to him. It, and when I surrendered everything to him, shortly after that I started to, like I said, things started to change, I believe, because that's when Darren started to ask me questions, would call every once in a while, and I tell him, you know, he, he asked this or that, and and then he told me, he kept telling me, um, like I'm saying, Darren, I'm praying, I go, are oh, you guys doing something? And, um, he'd say, Mary, he said, would you just keep praying? And I go, I am, Darren. I'm praying. He goes, well, you just keep praying. To the point to one day he, he told me, uh, he quoted a scripture, and he goes, oh, ye of little faith. And I go, Darren, I have faith. I just, because I think I told him, I just want to know. Are you really doing something? Is the DA really going to do something? 2007 was the arrest. Well, true. Okay, and true. That, that right there was a, a joyful moment. It wasn't joyful for the people connected to Sam. One of those people was Tina Montelongo, who met him just after the murder, fell in love, married him, and had a child with him. Even though they weren't together in 2007, she still believed he was innocent. I honestly thought it was just the same old shit that they've been doing since, you know, 
I knew and met him. Um, I didn't think that it was going to become what it was. Um, when I found out, I, go, I was kind of a relieved to see me like, okay, this is finally be over. Um, you thought it was going to... You thought it was going to force the legal system to exonerate them? Yeah, I did. One week after the arrests, Darren Wyatt's phone rang. It was someone from the lab. Get a phone call from the crime lab. Hey, um, did I tell you about this DNA hit? No. Oh, well, we got a full profile on Kathy's sock and under her arm from Javier. Suddenly, they had even more evidence than they thought they had. Just more than a month later, John Barroso was arrested in San Jose. After the break, I'll tell you about the great bluff. Here's the special offer from the La Mirada Theater for the Performing Arts. Buy one ticket to Arsenic and Old Lace, get one free. Use the promo code AUNTBOGO, A-U-N-T-B-O-G-O. Enter the code before selecting your seats. Valid on all performances of Arsenic and Old Lace. Offer good on full price tickets only. Tickets are available at LaMiradaTheater.com. Don't miss Broadway's classic killer comedy, Arsenic and Old Lace, combining murder and mayhem with zany humor. Arsenic and Old Lace is an uproaring comedy that gives hospitality a bad name. Opens January 24th through February 16th. Tickets at LaMiradaTheater.com. In September of 2007, all the defendants were in the courtroom for a preliminary hearing. Matt Murphy put on a bare-bones case, and he was successful getting them bound over for trial. It was a good day for the prosecution. Murphy walked out of the courtroom and saw Barroso's attorney standing next to Javier's attorney in the hallway. Murphy wanted Javier's attorney, who was a veteran defense guy named Jack Early, to think that Barroso was cooperating with authorities. Here's what Darren Wyatt heard him say. Hey, thanks. Uh, I'll get the dismissal filed later today. Appreciate it. We'll be in touch. To make it look like Barroso's role. Here's the truth. Barroso hadn't rolled. Barroso never rolled. Within a week, um, Jack Early's calling, wanting to proffer Javier. When I talked to Early, he said Javier was in an unwinnable position, so he had to proffer. No matter what led to the proffer, that bluff was next-level legal maneuvering. A proffer is when a defendant pleads guilty and tells what he knows. Javier rolled up like a carpet, a dirty carpet, but it was still a significant role. I need to tell you about the legal battle that was just beginning. Sam's attorney was Jennifer Keller. She was a giant in the field. In 2011, Keller participated in the epic Battle of the Dolls. She represented MGA Entertainment against Mattel. In other words, she represented Bratz against Barbie, and she won. Even though Bratz was created by a Mattel employee, Bratz was able to keep its brand name. It was reported that Keller was able to keep $139 million in attorney's fees. But long before she ventured into the Valley of the Dolls, Jennifer Keller had a client named Sam Lopez, who was accused of hacking to death his former girlfriend. I wrote her an email asking for an interview. Her response was short. Quote, Keith, 
I don't think there's anything I could tell you without implicating the attorney-client privilege, so I must decline. Best, Jennifer L. Keller, partner. Close quote. Since Sam and Javier both needed an attorney, Keller called Jack Early. Well, Javier came to me because uh, it was just a referral. Sam's, I knew Sam's lawyer. Jennifer was looking for who she going to try the case with. Jack Early was no slouch. He had represented the defendant in California's first capital case after the death penalty was reinstated in 1997. He had tried nine death penalty cases and taught death penalty law at the University of California, Irvine. My practice tends to be trials, so um, uh, I don't have very many cases. And I get referred uh, by lawyers who know a case is going to be a trial case, so they'll uh, refer it to me. So would it be then unusual that you would plea bargain? Well, it would be unusual to plea bargain in a serious case, and especially a homicide case. That would be uh, the exception rather than the rule. It might have been unusual, but plea bargain, or proffer, is exactly what Javier did. First, I'll set the scene, and then the next voice you'll hear will be Javier's. He gave two official proffers of truth to police. This is from the second one. Remember, He's talking about the events of February 12, 1994. Javier said he was planning to go to a club in La Puente, but he wanted to go to his buddy John Barroso's apartment in Fullerton with the intention of smoking weed and drinking before hitting the club. So he called his cousin, Sam Lopez, for a ride over to John's house. Darren Wyatt and Larry Montgomery are asking the questions. He jumped in his car. He's crying. Um... We start driving, he starts going down orange stuff, and I ask him, what's going on? What's wrong? He said, <laughs> Jesus God. I'm sorry, how we were up in here, I understand. He's dead. This is what Sam said? After that, I said, What happened? I thought something happened to an accident. She's got it. Killed Is that the word to use? Probably something like that, or do you know for sure? 
Maybe that will happen so Then the conversation turned to the murder weapon, which Javier called the knife thing. What he meant was that it was a long blade with a handle. It looked like a Slim Jim that thieves used to break into cars. Well, where is it? He said, it's, it's in the car. I left it. So we're still driving down our side. So I said, well, you know, I started thinking, you know what? I, I told him. I said, I'd be there for you. Whatever you need. You know, without the weapon, thing, thing, and they got, they ain't got nothing on you. That's the ball game, right? The prosecutors now have a witness who said Sam Lopez killed her with a long knife. Here's the truth, though. If you think the case was open and shut in 2007 with the arrest and this proffer from Javier, you would be sorely mistaken. There were so many more twists and turns. Sam Lopez was not going to go down for murder without a fight. Listen to Debbie Torres, Kathy's sister, describe what it was like to go to court for all those hearings and see Sam's family on the other side, the family that had always lived across the street. There was um, individuals who felt that their relatives who were facing criminal charges, uh, I guess they thought they were being wrongly accused of something, and um, they didn't hide that. Um, and so it became tense. She's being very diplomatic. During one court appearance, several people representing Sam, Javier, and Armando showed up at court. This is how the Orange County Register described the scene. Quote, About two dozen Lopez friends and family members showed up in support of the accused, many wearing T-shirts reading Team Lopez on the front and I was framed on the back. Quote, how can you honor the memory of the dead by persecuting the innocent, said Lopez family member Miguel Gorilla Lopez. They didn't stop Mary Bennett from advocating for justice. Well, I think that takes a lot of courage because, um, I, I mean, I, I do, I think it takes a lot of courage um, when you are hurting and you've lost so much um, to still stand up and, and not, you know, want to cower away and that's a run right but that was my mom wasn't going to be deterred and she wasn't going to be deterred at court either she was just going to be present you know this is my mom's goal in life was to see this through you know she was not going to let that go this is kathy's brother marty he watched sam and javier closely in court i always wondered how because these are guys that grew up completely sheltered right the compound situation and how that individual could have lived with himself. But then I thought, I think because you were so sheltered that you were allowed to create an alternate reality that with behind this cylinder center block wall and black right iron fence that says G. Lopez on it, that you're part of your own world. And your own rules apply. And you're, you're not part of the community and the real world. Guess what, Sam? We're never going to go away. The legal wrangling of this case played out over several years. You want an example of how long this case took? 
In August of 2007, John Barroso was charged as an accessory after the fact. Those charges were later dropped. Murphy said the statute of limitations had run out since the crime had occurred in 1994. Barroso never went to trial. A quick note about John Barroso. When he left Fullerton in the early 1990s, he went to school at Cal. He became a big-time architect for a firm called Derivi Castellanos. He has a sterling reputation and is known for building schools and for his philanthropy. I called Barroso and got an answering machine. I wrote him two emails asking for an interview. I figured the email would first go to an assistant, so I just said I would like to talk to Juan Barroso about the Kathy Torres case with no other details. I never heard from him. These arrests happened in 2007, but the trial wouldn't happen for eight more years. Don't make the mistake of assuming the drama was over. In 2009, a momentous turn of events happened. Lou Rosenblum left the Orange County District Attorney's Office. For 15 years, he had been a part of the DA's office that had stopped charges from being filed in the Kathy Torres case. And then, after hanging out a shingle in private practice as a defense attorney, Lou got a new client, Sam Lopez. You heard that right. Lou Rosenblum left the DA's office and the legendary prosecutor became Sam Lopez's defense attorney. Someone in Sam's extended family had put up a lot of money for a rigorous defense. Matt Murphy's mentor, the guy he called the greatest trial lawyer in America, his former supervisor, the great Lou Rosenblum, was now his opponent. Here's an admission Matt Murphy made to me. When he was a young attorney in a trial, Matt Murphy was channeling what he had learned. I was literally impersonating Lou. Matt was going to use what he learned from Lou against Lou. He had his work cut out for him. This was the hardest I've ever had to work in a trial. Lou knew every weakness of the prosecution's case. I've got to be honest, I don't have a law degree, but to a layman, this whole thing doesn't sound fair. Matt Murphy, however, thought it was fine. Which, ethically, I think is totally kosher because he didn't believe, it's not a case that he was prosecuting where it's like, this guy's guilty and then switch sides. Remember, Lou was one of the people that said, I do not believe there's enough evidence here to proceed to trial. So he is totally consistent. So pure, he's pure in your- Totally pure, in my eyes, completely pure. He, ref he refused to file, and so there's nothing inconsistent at all with him then defending when he's in private So practice. he's really working against your decision. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Which, which was his job. Think about it. The fact that Lou Rosenblum left the district attorney's office and became Sam Lopez's defense attorney set up an epic showdown between him and Matt Murphy. It also set up a showdown between the guy who wouldn't file the case and the mom who believes she knew who killed her daughter. I'll let you in on a little secret, and this is getting ahead of ourselves just a little bit, but I'll let you in anyway. When the trial started, the first witness was Mary Bennett and Lou Rosenblum went after her, hard. There's one more thing about Lou. He had an ace up his sleeve, a piece of information that would make Sam Lopez almost impossible to convict. Lou knew that the state's star witness, Javier Lopez, the guy who had tearfully talked to authorities about how Sam killed Kathy with a knife, Lou knew Javier was lying. Javier had told police he just had a minimal role helping Sam after Kathy was already dead. 
The problem for Javier was that his DNA was found on Kathy's body. Listen to Javier's attorney, Jack Early. Being truthful at that point in time would, um, you know, put him at risk of being convicted. Lou was poised to destroy Javier Lopez on the witness stand and destroy Matt Murphy's case in the process. Three months before the start of the trial, Matt Murphy invited Lou Rosenblum to the district attorney's office for a meeting. And knowing Lou, having studied Lou, having, you know, I'm like a student of Lou Rosenblum's way of trying things, I know that Lou is going to see Javier as the biggest weakness in our case, and I'm, I know exactly how Lou is going to exploit it. And Lou is going to say they're building their case on the word of a liar. And then he's going to go about proving that Javier is a liar. And as he, as he embarks on that, Lou's going to be right, because Javier, in fact, was a liar. He was a liar five times over. Lou was banking on us calling Javier, so right. he's building his defense around this. Now, I know, I know, I mean, Lou taught me how to do these things. I'll tell you what he did. Matt called Lou into a meeting and told him he wouldn't be calling Javier as a witness. Think about it. He was trying Sam Lopez for the murder of Kathy Torres. He didn't have DNA or fingerprints to support his case. He didn't have a confession. He didn't have the murder weapon or any evidence collected from the crime scene because the police only had a general idea of where the crime scene was. The cops had messed up sending samples to the lab. They had blown the surveillance. The only witness Matt Murphy had was Javier Lopez, and he was just now telling his opposing counsel that Javier would not be testifying. How could Matt Murphy possibly get a conviction? Next time on Crime Beat, Season 2, Mom vs. Murderer. Bombshells. The trial of Sam Lopez had its share of drama, but no one could have prepared for what happened after the trial ended, and we'll tell you what happened at the trial. Crime Beat, Season 2, was produced by the Southern California News Group. The executive editor was Frank Pine. The senior editor was Todd Harmonson. Audio editing, mixing, and music by Kevin Sablon. Field recording and videos by Jeff Gritchen. Graphics by Kurt Snibby. And I want to give special thanks to podcasters who inspired this work. Amy Wilson and Amber Hunt on Accused. Sarah Koenig on Serial. Brian Reed on S-Town. Chris Gofford on Dirty John, Madeline Barron on In the Dark, Nate DeMeo on The Memory Palace, and Phoebe Judge on Criminal. The best way you can support this podcast is to give us high ratings, write great reviews, and tell your friends to check out our work. Also, you can listen to Crime Beat Season 1, Stealing Nixon's Millions. That story was the inspiration behind the 2019 movie Finding Steve McQueen, starring Forrest Whitaker, Travis Fimmel, Rachel Taylor, and William Fickner. Thanks for listening. Here's more information on the play Arsenic and Old Lace at the La Mirada Theater for the Performing Arts. The play is scheduled to run from January 24th through February 16th. Use the promo code ANTBOGO, A-U-N-T-B-O-G-O, for a discount on tickets at lamiradatheater.com.